Welcome to the Citizens Youth Podcast. Citizens Youth is a ministry of LifePoint Church in Vancouver, Washington. Citizens is a community of students who are learning to live for Jesus. We meet every Wednesday at 7 p.m. To find out more, check out lpcvan.com forward slash youth. Here's where we've been, all right? So um, for those of you who are just joining us, those of you who are new, we have, um, we've been going through the book of... Say it like you believe it. All right. Malachi. We've been going through the book of Malachi. And Malachi, Malachi is a book in the Old Testament, all right? And so, you know, this story, you guys like, man, we love a good story here at Citizens, right? And so Malachi is written at a time where God's people, Israel, they're kind of messed up. How many people know what I'm talking about when I say messed up, right? Say messed up. And so these people, they were in a covenant, which simply means they were in a special agreement with God where he would be their God and they would be his people. And so all throughout the Bible, a big part of what the Bible is, is God teaching people, hey Allison, we've missed you, dude. Oh man, we could just cut that from the podcast, but I just got legit happy. I'm glad you're here, dude. Awesome, right? So, it's the, so most of the Bible is a story about how God is teaching people. He's giving them law. He's giving them instructions. Here's how you walk on this earth as my people. Israel don't walk on earth as God's people, right? And so Israel, they're just, they're faithless toward God and they're just, they're just doing things, right? And they're going down the wrong path and God, time after time after time is saying, guys, stop. Guys, stop. Guys, stop. Guys, stop. And God in his love, he's calling them out and he's saying, stop, stop, stop. And they don't stop. And one of the most disastrous events in Israel's history happens, the exile. And so these people, they're judged, right? And you have these foreign nations like Babylon and Assyria, right? And so they come and they ransack Jerusalem. They surround it, right? And they starve them out and they take them to another country and they're exiled from their homeland. And they're feeling, what have we done? This is exactly what God said would happen if we didn't live faithfully to the covenant. And so they go away into exile. And how many people think you would learn your lesson after a while, right? So they go away into exile. They're there from anywhere between 70 and 100 years. There's different waves. And finally they come back. They rebuild the temple. And they're going, all right, now we're back in Jerusalem, right? And what we find, as Malachi writes this book, we find that the exile has changed nothing. The exile has changed nothing. Instead, we find them just as rebellious, just as arrogant in their hearts as before the exile. And so they're here and they're like, God, how has God loved us, right? How has God loved us? And we see that God, almost like in a courtroom where there's these disputations, there's these arguments back and forth where they're just, uh, they're raising these questions and God is just answering them back. And they go, God, how has God loved us? And he goes, let me give you exhibit A. Look at Edom. And you guys remember we looked at Edom, how Edom was destroyed. He goes, this is what happens to nations that don't follow me. I didn't give you what you deserved. Exhibit A. God doesn't give us what we deserve. And so we go on from there and he starts to call them out on, on how they are not honoring the name of God. They don't have any fear for the name of God. Fear, what is that about? No, no, no. 
Fear doesn't mean you're scared of someone who's abusive. It means there's, re- there's reverence and deep awe of a person, right? You're giving them the weight that they deserve. And they go, Psh, God, how have we despised you? How, what do you mean we don't honor you, God? What are you talking about? And he goes, well, let me give you exhibit B. I mean, just look at the altar. And so we find out that Israel, the Israelites, they legitimately, like, they were bringing God to say the leftovers is kind, right? Instead of worshiping God with the best things that they had, they'd be like, man, this cow smells. Maybe it's because it's been dead for seven days. Uh, get rid of it on the altar. Here you go, God. Oh, yeah, right? We find out they had animals that were blind. There were animals that had boils. There was animals that literally were missing legs. And they go, man, I can't use this in my farm. Let's uh, get rid of it on the altar, right? And they're just giving God the leftovers. And he's like, you're despising my name. You want, you want proof? You want me to prove to you what's in your heart? Look at what you're bringing in your hands. And then we go from there and we talk about last week how the, the leaders are in large part to blame. And God calls out the leaders. And he says, the reason why the people are so faithless is because when I look at the priests, they're not leading the people with what? They're not leading with their words or their examples. And so we come to our book today. And as we've done every week, even though this is a a letter, even though this is a, a book written to ancient Israel, students, if you're in middle school or high school, listen to me. We've learned here, week after week, month after month, year after year, there is nothing more relevant than when we open up this book. Nothing. This isn't like a math textbook that was written a long time ago, and I'm like, why are we studying an ancient textbook? There is nothing more relevant than God's word because God, in his brilliance, when he wrote this, he designed it that it would be useful for all of his people, all nations, all time periods. And so if you're here and you have any desire to know what God is like, if you're here and you have any desire to know what it looks like to live for God, if you're here and you want, if you have any desire in your heart to hear God speak, I have good news. We're about to. And so we come to our text today and one more, one more rebuke that God piles on. Not only is the altar here, not only are, 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 are they accusing God of not loving him, he says, you know what else I have beef with you? You have been faithless. You have been faithless. And today, we're going to see exactly how they've been faithless. Are you guys ready? Follow along with me. We're going to start in verse 10 here. Verse 10 in our text. Have we not all one Father? Has not one God created us? Why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? Judah has been faithless, and abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. So check this out, right? This whole time, this whole book so far, God is calling people out for how they've treated him. God is calling people out for the way that they're interacting, the bad way that they're interacting with God, but now he begins to call them out and he wants to call them out for how they are treating other people. He's called them out, you know, right? For the last few weeks, he's called them out on how they've been faithless to him, but now he's calling them out for being faithless in another way. And he says it's this way, you are not being faithful to others. Wait, God, time out. What are you coming? Like, I thought we were talking about me and you, God. Like, I thought this was an A and B conversation. What do my other human relationships have to do with this? 
Malachi, give us a break. I, I thought you were trying to teach me how me and God need to be cool. Why are you bringing other people into this? Those are people matters. I thought we were talking about God matters. But what we learn from this text, friends, are that people matters are God matters. People matters are God matters. Malachi, he's calling them out here because the way that they interact with other people, their relationships with other people around them directly affect the way that they worship God. Students, your relationship with God is not just a matter of how you interact with him. How's your relationship with God? Well, in my private room, I pray and read my Bible and I talk to him every day, but I hate people. Wait, what? No, no, no. You, you worship God in the way that you interact in the relationships around you, students. People matters, our God matters. Does that make sense? So let's look at it. Where am I getting this from? Look what it says. He says, has not one God created us? This is talking about every single human. Are you a human here? Yes. Good, okay. Every single human has been created by God. The, word, the phrase we use here is image bearer, okay? An image bearer, someone who has been created in God's image, a.k.a. every human. And so, guys, aren't we all image bearers? Hasn't God created all of us? And then he gets even more specific. He goes, have we not all one father? The reality is in the family of God, all of the children of God have the same father. If you're a son of God, if you're a daughter of God, and I'm a son of God, like we're brothers and sisters, the Bible says. We're in the same family, not just in the same humanity, in the same family. And so how can you say, right? How can you say, yeah, me and God are cool, but me and you aren't. No, 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 friends, people matters, our God matters. There's no such thing as, dude, me and God, we're cool, but I hate that guy. Yeah, yeah, guys, me and God are cool, but I just, I don't respect her. Yeah, me and God are cool, but me and him, dude, like, I don't treat him right. I disrespect him. I'm a dad, right? I have one, and I already feel this. Like, he's two, and he's running around, and there's other kids interacting with him. I already feel this, like, if you're not cool with my kid, you're not cool with me. You know what I'm saying? Like, little kids on the playground aren't gonna come and just like DDT Micah and like trip him on the playground and then walk up to me like, hey Sam, how you doing? Ah, uh, no, we're not, dude, <laughs> no, no, we're not cool. And it's the same way with God. There's no such thing as me and God are cool, but I hate his children, right? Yeah, me and God are cool, but I hate Christians. Dude, nothing drives me crazier than friendly fire Christians, right? People who say, dude, Christians are so dumb. I'm sorry for Christians, they're idiots. No, hey, I'm a Christian. I don't think so, right? People matters, our God matters. The way that we interact with people, the way that we treat those around us, that is directly affected to the way that, that we worship God. This is what John says, First John, he says, if anyone says, I love God. How many of you in here love God? All right, it's talking to you. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, He's a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. How do you treat people? Not, that's not a rhetorical way. Think about it. How do you, young man, how do you, young lady, how do you treat people? Like if you really thought about it. 
If you really analyze your interactions from earlier today, how do you treat people? Are you the kind of person that, that disrespects people? Do you use people? Or are you the kind of person that like, dude, after like five minutes with you, like after five minutes of talking to you, someone walks away and they go, man, I feel like valuable. I feel like that person accurately reflected my self-worth. And why are we all, why do we all have self-worth? Why do we all value? Because we're image bearers. How do you treat people? And so this is a big part here. Before he even gets into this, he's saying, have we not all one father? Have we not all been created? So why are you being faithless to one another? I couldn't help but go here, but this is a, a passage. This is a story from the book of Matthew. This is Jesus talking. Listen to this. This is a quick little parable. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And then, then the righteous will answer him. This is God talking. Metaphorically, this is the king, right? And then the righteous will say to him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? How many of you guys ran into Jesus today and he was hungry, right? Anybody buy Jesus a Big Mac today? No, right? All right. What, God, when did we see you hungry? What? When, when did we see you thirsty and give you a drink? God, what are you talking? When did I see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? God, what are you talking about? What do you mean we treated you this way? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. God says every time you treat a fellow human in this way, you're actually doing it to me. Because in God's mind, people matters, our God matters. The way that we worship God is directly connected. It's directly lived out in the way that we treat other people. In the way that we treat other people. And so Israel, they're being called out here today, friends. Right? We're going to get into it here. They're being called out because they're being disloyal and untrustworthy, a.k.a. faithless. They're being unloyal to people. And then, here's what they do. And then... They have the audacity to stroll up into the temple and be like, hey God, we're cool, right? They have the audacity to walk into the altar and bring sacrifices as if it ain't no thing. God, we're cool, right? God, what's up? Why do you, act so, why do you seem so weird today? <laughs> and God says it's this, right? There's two major ways that they're failing in their relationships to others. Everybody say two. two. If you're with me, say two. There are two major ways that the Israelites are failing in their relationships with others. And both of those failures, both of those involve perhaps the most important relationship in their life. Both of the failures involve their spouses. Mowage, mowage, skirt, did that just go marriage? Yes, they've been faithless in two major ways, and both of those ways involve their spouses. Check it out. Look at verse 11. For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves, and has married the daughter of a foreign god. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob any descendant of the man who does this, who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. So the first thing we see here, he's rebuking them. He says, he rebukes them for marrying people from other nations. Sam, right? Is God racist? Like, 
this is kind of a racist passage. Is he, he's seriously rebuking them because they married a foreigner? Is that what's happening here? No, friends, he's not rebuking them because of their nationality. This is not about their nationality. This is not about their skin color, okay? For goodness sake, I mean, King David, his grandmother, his great-grandmother was a Moabitess. Remember how many people were here for the book of Ruth, right? Tremendous story. She was, she was from a different nationality. So what's going on here? Why is he rebuking them for marrying foreign spouses? It's not that they're children of a foreign nation. He's rebuking them because they are children of a foreign God. He's not rebuking them because of the country they came from. He's rebuking them because of the God that they serve. And he says, you guys have married, I love how he says it, daughters of a foreign God. Religion is more than just a status. Religion is your Lord, right? We are children of God, and he rebukes them for marrying children, daughters of other gods. Students, can I talk to you for a moment about marriage here? You need to understand something, okay? When you marry someone, when you enter into a covenant, when you enter into this partnership called marriage, you're bringing more than just your last name, if you're the dude, right? Ladies, he's giving you more than just his last name. Guys, she's giving you more than just changing her address. When two people get married, you bring everything into that marriage. You bring your values. You bring your your priorities. You come into marriage with your own set of beliefs. You, You bring everything that you are, your priorities, all of those things. You bring those into marriage. And so if two people are not on the same page, if you marry a person, that is not a Christian, if you marry someone who does not serve your Lord, you have to understand that you're marrying someone who has something different sitting on the throne of their hearts than you do. That's to bring it back to camp language, right? Two people come together and what they represent are two thrones. And here's what happens. When there are two different people, when there are two different things sitting on the thrones of those hearts, there's a war. You will have literally a civil war in your house between the king of your heart and the king of their heart. And you know what happens when that civil war breaks out? Devastation. Because what happens is there's a war and what happens is that God, whatever's sitting on the throne of their heart, will steal your heart. It will steal your heart. And so that's why he's rebuking them here, not because He's racist, not because we're superior. No, no, he's making it clear that children of God should not marry children of gods. If you're a child of God, you should not, and it's so clear, you should not marry children of, lowercase g, gods. Students, you wanna know who you should marry? His name, I'm getting a a J. Uh, Josh, is there a Josh? No, I'm just kidding, right? Not who you should marry, but let me tell you. Yeah, Josh is like, yes, no, right? (laughs) Who you should marry, I'm not gonna give you a name, but I'm gonna tell you right now. I'm gonna make it super easy for you, right? I'm going to eliminate about 80% of the world's population for you, right? Just figure out the other 20%. It's super easy, right? We don't marry people that aren't Christians. Students, listen to me, look in here, okay? We don't marry people that aren't Christians. Not because we're arrogant, not because we think we're superior, not because I'm being biased against other religions. No, because these are two very different ways of life and they are not compatible. 
Do you understand that like be the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian? This is more than just, we kind of have some differences. These are two radically different ways of life. They, you, you too, Christian, non-Christian, you, you don't just have differences, you come from a completely different kingdom. You have a completely different king. You have a completely different administration with completely different values and priorities. Completely different. And so we don't marry non-Christians because we know what happens. We know that when the war breaks out in our hearts, when the, when the, when the things that are on the throne of our hearts compete, devastation always comes. Well, Sam, I just, I'm just gonna be honest. I think this is super closed-minded and like, I mean, maybe God should be more trusting, right? I mean, why doesn't God just give them more credit? Like, how does he know that like, what if they marry the, pe the people that aren't followers of God? And what if they become followers of God because they married them? What if, what if they get married as the greatest missions trip ever? I mean, people go to Africa for weeks at a time. What if I marry her for 40 years? I mean, and tell her about Jesus, right? I mean, Sam, I know he's not interested in things of God now, but like, I can change him, right? Maybe God should give them more credit. Friends, realize what's happening. They've already done this. They've already married the daughters of foreign gods. And so everything that we've talked about in the last couple of weeks, is it really a surprise? Everything that we've seen, they don't have fear in their hearts for God. They have no honor in their hearts. And we learned today that a large part of it is because they've, their hearts have already been stolen. Their hearts have already been stolen. Maybe God should give them more credit. Really? What happens is you get into these relationships, right? And I, let me just illustrate this. Can, who wants, somebody, please, someone. Come here, come here, Victoria, right? Come here, listen. Stand up here, okay? Stand. Give it up for Victoria. Make you feel better? So look, so here's Victoria, and she's standing on the path of righteousness, right? Metaphorically, it's taller because it is a higher path, right? Never mind, don't push it too far. But she's standing on the path of righteousness. This is what the Bible calls the narrow way because it's harder to live up here. It's harder to follow God. And here I am down here on the broad way, right? Not... Broadway, like the broad, <laughs> the wide way, okay? This is not Citizens the Musical, right? And so here we are, and like, this is weird, I picked a sixth grader. Imagine someone like us get married, right? Imagine someone like us are in a relationship, right? You're with me, right? And so what happens here, you ready? And so she has all the good intentions of the heart, and she's going to help me get to her plan, so I want you to lift me up there. Like, pull me up there, onto the stage. Like, onto the, like, lift me up to your plane. Like, like, can you try harder? Like, just, yeah, I'm like, yeah, see how close I got. Like, but we know that's not gonna happen, right? Because usually, try again, try again. What usually happens is I pull her down here, right? It's always easier, right? This is what I call the law of spiritual gravity. Thank you. This is what I call the law of spiritual gravity. Everything tends down. When you leave... <laughs> Girls, right? When you leave things alone spiritually, when you're not trying to... When, when there's not an active force pushing you to follow God, it's like water down a hill. 
And this is what God knows, and that's why he says the children of God should not marry the children of gods. God knows, students, if you're gonna live for God up here, if you're going to live on the, on the narrow path for Jesus, God knows that because of the law of spiritual gravity, you're going to need an active force actually pushing you in the right direction. You're going to need the most important person in your life as a positive force pushing you in the right direction with you, not a weight that pulls you down. And that's exactly what's happening here in Israel. They're marrying the daughters of foreign gods. And God is not closed-minded. He doesn't lack diversity. God created diversity. He looks at it because of the danger that their gods pose. He knows that the person who will influence you the most in your life, your spouse, needs to have the ability to apply force and help push you in the right direction. Paul weighs in here, 2 Corinthians. He says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers, right? You're like, what do eggs have to do with this? Different type of yoked, right? Do not be tied, right? Do not be partnered with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Paul didn't just make this up in the New Testament. He's going off this principle here that we've learned since the Old Testament. Children of God should not marry children of gods. So let's keep going here, because we have more. Look at verse 13. And this second thing you do. Everybody say second. So number one, the first way that they're failing in their human relationships, they're marrying the daughters of foreign gods. And the second thing they do is this. You cover the Lord's altars, altar with tears, with weeping and groaning because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, why does he not? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Did he not make them one with a portion of his spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. We learned that they're not only faithless to God, but they're actually being faithful, faithless to their spouses. Going after foreign women, going after foreigners is a problem, but it actually gets worse. They're divorcing, they're abandoning their wives in order to go after those foreign women. And so God is calling them out here. He says they're being faithless to their spouses, and yet, look what they're doing, guys. Look what they're doing. And yet, they're still bringing the sacrifices to God, and they're asking God, almost like accusing him, why doesn't he accept this? As if God is a problem, right? Why does it, God, what's your problem, God? I'm bringing you stuff, isn't that good enough? And the whole time, they're, they're bringing sacrifices that are lame, they're abandoning their wives, they're chasing after foreign wives with their customs and their cultures and their gods, and the whole time they could still, guys, check this out, students, listen, they still have the audacity to walk up into temple with a smile and be like, hey God, what's wrong? You guys know what the word for this is? This is what I call duplicity. Say duplicity. Duplicity is when you're living a double life. Duplicity is when you're being two different people in two different contexts. The Israelites here, they have their everyday life, 
where they're divorcing their wives and abandoning them and going after foreign women and they're being faithless to God. They have no reverence in their heart. They're bringing God these horrible, and yet, and then they have their God life. And this is where I go to temple and I say hello to the other people at temple and I say, isn't it good to be in the house of the Lord today? What's that smell? Ignore it. That's my sacrifice, right? And they have two different lives. This is called duplicity. And we see that Israel, they don't mind the radical inconsistency between the two. Now listen, I'm not, every time that you don't feel God, that, that doesn't necessarily mean you're in sin, okay? So upperclassmen especially, because this is a really common junior and senior thing, okay? You'll go through seasons of life where you go, I just don't feel God as much as I used to. I'm not saying that's because of sin. A lot of times, those things happen because God is trying to teach us how to have a mature relationship with him. And he's teaching us how to live for him and obey him and be consistent even when we don't have the feelings of, of camp and of excitement and of just whatever. So I'm not talking about that. But there are times when, when you are living a double life, when you are living with inconsistencies in your life, with unconfessed sin, you will undoubtedly feel far from God. You will undoubtedly, and you're asking just like them, why does he not? Why isn't God close to us? Where is he? God, what's wrong? Why isn't everything normal? And a lot of times when we have unconfessed sin in our life, the Holy Spirit, if you have him in you, he's there and it's called conviction. And he's letting you feel the, the distance between you and God. And that's the, that feeling, that, that is the Holy Spirit's way of saying, dude, we're not here right now, okay? Yeah, God, I'm, I'm ignoring you because, yeah, I, I, I'm not really going to look God in the eyes because, yeah, I, I'm just going to, uh, I, I can't really look God. It's unconfessed sin. When you come to the Lord and you turn yourself in, when you look at him in the eyes, when you go to your small group leader, when you go to one of your friends and you say, listen, man, here's what's going on in my life. Here's where I'm at. I haven't told anybody. That's how you overcome duplicity. That's when you start eliminating the difference between my everyday life, but then my church life, or my youth group life, or my God life. And so God is calling them out on their duplicity. They're doing whatever they want, and yet they come, and they go, why does he not accept it? Maybe because you're doing something crazy. Maybe because, exhibit C here, maybe because you're being faithless to the wife of your youth, and you're breaking God's design of marriage. Why, why doesn't God accept? Why do I feel so far from God? Where is God? Well, let me tell you why. You're breaking God's design for marriage. And then in the verses that follow here, we learn that God has a very clear design for marriage. God has a very clear design for marriage. How many of you know that God didn't spitball marriage, right? Like he didn't create Adam and he's like, bam, <sighs> right? Adam, all right, he's good. He's going, hey, uh, Trinity huddle, Trinity huddle. Ah, all right, I, I don't know, Holy Spirit. I just feel like there's something missing. Yeah, you're right, I see that. Uh, what should we do, Jesus? I don't know. What if, we, what if we make another human? Two of them? Yeah, let's see. Yeah, we throw it in there, right? And Eve, poof, afterthought. All right, that, that's not what happened. God didn't put Eve on the earth and go, hey guys, uh, in case your lone rangerness doesn't work out, Adam, uh, in case of being the man, like the only man doesn't work for you, um, there's a woman here, and uh, just a little suggestion, maybe uh, get married, all right? God didn't, like, God, <laughs> you're like, 
he did. No, that was not what he did, all right? For all the confused looks, that's not what happened. God designed marriage. From the very beginning, that was the plan. From the very beginning, he said, this is how it's gonna work on earth. And he had a design. And it came with a manual, right? A handbook. You're like, where is it? I'm just kidding, not literally, right? But he makes his design very clear. And so look, here's what I wanna do. As he's calling out Israel for the way that they're breaking the design, we could actually learn a lot about the design. So do you wanna see it? Do you wanna see some of the things about the design for marriage? Look what he does, look what he says here. He's, he's calling them out and he says, why, why doesn't God, why isn't he near to us? Why does he not accept our offerings? Why is God acting like there's something wrong? And look what he says. Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth. The first thing we see about marriage here is that it's actually a three-person covenant, all right? So Andrew, come here, right? Andrew, come here, all right? Andrew's getting married today. Come here, come here, right? This is, we're gonna do a wedding here, right? And so, to, (laughs) sorry, I learned my lesson, dude. I'm not getting married, right? That went bad. So I'm gonna put this on this dude, right? So he comes up here and it's like, so how many people are in this covenant? False. There's three. The text literally says, look what it says. He goes, God was witness between you and the wife. So that's why when the minister is standing up there, I've done a few weddings now, right? Right? Kind of fun. You're standing up there and he's representing God and there's actually a triangle here. God was actually there seeing you guys make this vow, right? This is just getting weird. Sit down, right? right? It's a three-person covenant. And so God was actually there standing as witness. And so what God is saying, when you are faithless to that wife, you're being faithless to me because I was right there when you promised. You didn't just promise to her, you promised to me. And so God, he said, I was there. How are you about to abandon this girl? Like, I was right there when you looked her in the eyes and metaphorically you looked me in the eyes and you said, till death do us part. And so we learn from marriage that it's a three-person covenant. It's between you, your spouse, and God. What else do we learn here? He says, did he not make them one with a portion of the spirit in their union? Did he not? The answer is yes. He made them one by putting his spirit within them. And the thing we learned about marriage there is that two become permanently one. God doesn't look at them and just go, all right, I like that deal. You guys are partners. He's, no, it's, it's like, it's as if they're one now. I used this metaphor back in our carry-on series. When two people come together and make one baby, what happens on the cellular level of that baby, right? Where the DNA unravels from the man and the DNA unravels from the girl and they come together and form a brand new DNA, that's what's happening, happening spiritually. They're becoming one. You want to split up that union? You want to break it up? You would have to separate all of the male cells and all of the mother cells, cells. <laughs> Sales, sales, right? You'd have to separate all of the male DNA and all of the female DNA out of that baby. If me and my wife want to stop being one, God is saying, I made that so permanent, it's as if Micah, take away all of your genetics and all of Jordan's and then you can separate. How about that for a new marriage ceremony, right? And now the husband and wife would like to present rings, unity sand, and a baby, right? right? It's like, I'm gonna do that at my next wedding. I'm legitimately gonna bring up a baby and be like, his blood is now one, right? It's just weird, I'm sorry. But two, two become permanently one. 
God's design, we learn here, God's design is not a seasonal arrangement. It's a desired permanence. God's arrangement is not a seasonal thing. Hey guys, this is working, so hey, let's take inventory, but let's be back up in your year. If it's not working, hey, we can go separate. It's not a seasonal arrangement. His design is permanence. Number three, look what he says. And what was the one God seeking? This is awesome, right? This is one of those grandma verses. This is the kind of verse that my mom quotes to me when she's like wanting more grandkids. This, she like, Sammy, what was the one thing God was seeking? I don't know, mom. Well, you gotta read your Bible. He was seeking godly offspring. Where's the offspring? I don't see no offspring. I need more babies, Sammy, right? My mom kind of sounds like that. You guys just have no idea especially when she's angry. What was the one God seeking godly offspring? We learn about God's design of marriage that the home was meant to be a godly school of faith. Listen, the design for marriage was bigger than just between two people. When God designed marriage, he had more in mind than just the one dude and the one girl. He had in mind the chitlins, right? He had in mind the bibbies. And his design was that the parents would come together and that home would now become like a school. This is where I reveal to all of you that all of us should be homeschooled, right? No, 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 you misunderstood me. I'm saying, <laughs> you're like, yes! No, I mean like, we all go to public school or whatever, but like on one level, we should all be homeschooled. Because the way that God designed it, the home should be a school. Not a school that you learn math at, or English, or gym class, or eating, or sleeping till 11.30. Not that kind of school. The home is meant to be a school where you learn how to be godly. That's God's design. God did, oh man, this is big. This is why I do what I do, students. God did not design it for two people to have the ability to reproduce just so that they can send their kids away to experts to learn about God. Well, Andrew's my son, and so when he wants to learn basketball, I send him to the basketball coach. When he wants to learn karate, I send him to the karate coach. When he wants to learn Jesus, I send him to the youth pastor. No. No. Parents are called to be the primary faith instructors. Your home is meant to be the primary school of faith. How many of you could say, my home is the primary school of faith? My home is the place where I learn about the gospel and Jesus. That's awesome. How many of you would say that's not the case? Yeah. And so here's, here's the cool thing about that, and here's why we're here. If you don't have a, a godly family that can be that school of faith, look around. God has provided you with a godly family, right? And that's why we have spiritual mothers and spiritual fathers and spiritual big brothers and spiritual big sisters and all these things. But that's, that's going on. The point is, for those of you who will be parents one day even at this point, understand God's design for marriage. Parents are supposed to create a godly school of faith. Let's keep going. Let's look at the next verse here. For the, men who for, for the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence. Last thing we learn here, that the home is supposed to be a place of safety and provision. Safety and provision. Divorce in these days, it wasn't like it is today. We're like, hey, you know what? I think we're gonna separate. You get the dog, I get the cat, you get the house, I get the car, and we both go our separate ways and we're both functional. Like, home was everything. There was no social security. There was no safety net of society. The home was the place where you were provided for. So when these dudes were abandoning their wives, 
like little sissies, following their lust and everything, they were literally leaving these women out to dry. They were abandoning them. They had nowhere to go. There was no safety. You know what it was to be a lady? Lady, some of you guys feel weird walking around your high school. You're like, I just don't feel safe here in Union, right? Imagine walking around ancient Israel, right? <laughs> it's just, it's gangbusters. And so we see God gets mad at them for leaving them out to dry. And in his anger, we see part of the design. It's meant to be a place of safety and provision. And you thought the carry-on series was over. No, right? So we see that the Israelites, they're breaking the design, and as a result, they're treating their, their spouses horribly. And friends, for God, as we've already said earlier, this is a problem because people matters, our God matters. The way that they're treating their spouses is important to God because people matters or God matters. They can't be doing these things to their spouses and then just walking around with God as, God, we're cool, right? God's like, you're not cool with my daughter. You're not cool with my child. You're not cool with me right now, right? And so he calls them and he says it repeatedly. He says, he says guard your hearts. Look what he says here, right? He says it, don't be faithless. Look after your spirit. Don't be faithless. Malachi's message is simple here. He's saying be, be faithful to God by being faithful to God to your spouse. Be faithful to God in your devotion to him. Be faithful to God by being faithful to your spouse. And now immediately, all of you, oh, all right, I can check out here. This is the whole thing, Sam. You should have just told me it's all about marriage. Well, I'm not married, so I'm just gonna skip this message. Retroactively? I, I don't get that, right? But I'm gonna skip this message, and uh, I just, I'll, like, I'll listen to the podcast later if I ever get married. No, students, you need to understand this. You need to understand what you're headed toward, okay? Toward that season of figuring out marriage. You need to understand that marriage is a covenant of faithfulness. Marriage is a covenant of loyalty. Marriage is a covenant of commitment. And when you're in that covenant, to be faithless to your spouse is being faithless to God. To be faithless to your spouse is equivalent to being faithless to God. And so guard yourselves in your spirit, the text says. Don't be faithless. And here's what I want you guys to do, right? Students who are not married, here's why this is relevant for you. Because I want you to start now. I want you to start becoming a faithful person now. I want you, even as middle school and high school students, to already begin the process of eliminating unfaithfulness from your hearts. Purge unfaithfulness from your hearts. And here are a few ways you can do that. Grow into a loyal person to those around you now. Are you a loyal person? Practice keeping your word, even when it hurts. Are you the kind of person that says like, what is it on Facebook, where it used to be, hey, come to my birthday party. Yes, no, maybe, right? Maybe is like the universal signal for like all of us who are like commitment phobic, right? So now they changed it from maybe to I'm interested. You guys see that, right? On Facebook, come to my birthday party, I'm interested. AKA, okay, possibly, but let me see if something better comes up. We're just, we're so scared to just plant. We're so scared to let our yes be yes and our no be no because if something better shows up, deuces, I'm there. Be people that practice keeping your word even when it hurts. Hey, buddy, I'm gonna help you move on Saturday, Friday night, I get a call. Hey, dude, you wanna come to the Blazers game? I got tickets. 
<coughs> hey, uh, John, I'm not gonna be able to help you move tomorrow. Uh, sorry, something came up. I mean, I mean uh, I'm sick, all right? That's like the proverbial, I'm gonna break my commitment thing. Practice keeping it when it hurts. Keep your commitments when you don't feel like it. Live in purity. Practice faithfulness in your hearts now by not fantasizing about other people, by not lusting in your hearts. Young dudes, this is a quote for you, all right? This is a quote that has changed my life. Self-control is not something that you need to do until you get married. It's the very thing you need to be successful in marriage, okay? Controlling your passions is not just something that, just hold on, oh, now I'm married. Now I don't have to have self-control, no, no. That self-control, that restraint is the very thing that you will need to take with you into marriage because those passions and desires and lusts don't go away when you're married. They become worse. And so self-control now is practicing being faithful to one person. Self-control now is a way that you guys can practice being a one-woman man or one-man woman. Be faithful. Be faithful to God by being faithful to your spouse. Be faithful to God by being faithful to your spouse. Do you know why God gets so passionate about this? Do you know why God is so serious about this? Why God is, is so angry about the way they treat their spouses? Because there's one more part about the design that I didn't tell you. In God's design, the way that two of his children who are getting married, the way that they conduct themselves is meant to be an illustration. How many people like illustrations? Anybody into visual aids, right? Dang it, all of you are like, that's why I'm not listening to you, right? Uh, more visual aids coming next week. I'll just have literally the words visual aid like on the screen. That doesn't count. But like, we, all, we all learn better from visual aids, right? Do you learn better from visual aid? God said this, he goes, when two of my children get together in marriage, their marriage, the way that they treat one another will be a visual aid to the entire world for the way I love my people. And we see it demonstrated as Jesus Christ is born into this earth and he goes to the cross and he dies, demonstrating his sacrificial love for his people. That's how much God loves his people. We see Jesus Christ come and save us and promise to never leave us or let us go. That's how God loves his people. We see Jesus praying for us, constantly working for our behalf, doing things that are for our good, because that's how God loves his people. And so the call tonight, students, is to be faithful to God by being faithful to your spouses, and for most of you, to your future spouses. Because what's on the line here, when you step into marriage, you have the privilege, the beautiful opportunity to reflect to the entire world what God's love is like for his people. Everybody in their marriage, everybody is saying something about God. The question is simply, are you telling the truth with your marriage or are you telling a lie? The way that you treat your spouse, are you communicating to the world that God is faithless to his people or are you showing with your illustration that God is actually faithful to his people and he'll never let them go? And so the call tonight, students, be faithful to God by being faithful to your spouses.